What kind of king do you want? That same question has been asked since then, right up to today. And it's a question that we grapple with through Easter. What kind of king do we want? It's a question that the world grapples with, but it doesn't really know that there's an alternative and that that alternative is Jesus. Who will you follow? What kind of king will you put your trust in? Already today, we've been singing Hosanna. We've been proclaiming Hosanna to the King of Kings. We sung about serving Jesus. I live to serve your majesty. We proclaim Jesus, King of Kings. We said that Christ is enough for us. You get the message through the songs that we've used today that as Christians we make this declaration about who Jesus is as King of Kings in our lives. But is that true? Is that really how we live our lives? Is that evident in us? Has that been evident for people? See, if Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on that Sunday was a triumph... What went wrong that week? Those people that were waving those leaves and proclaiming Hosanna, Hosanna, giving him the entry that we call triumphal, by the end of the week were saying, crucify him, crucify him. How does that stay a triumph when by the end of the week Jesus is dead? How do we work out what Palm Sunday is for us. This, this idea of Sunday, Palm Sunday being a triumph is in a sense a bit of a problem we've got to wrestle with. Have you ever asked yourself this? Why was it a triumph when Jesus came in, when they crucified him just a few days later? If this is such an amazing day for us, if it's so triumphal, how can it be that by Friday he's betrayed, he's arrested, he's accused, he's tried, he's sentenced, and he's killed. From most perspectives, when you look at that reality, this doesn't sound much like a triumph. So what's going on? What is it that's happening? Well, one of the things that you may know or you may not know is that this day in Jerusalem, there were two processions going on. As Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, on the other side of town, there's another procession taking place as Pontius Pilate comes into the city. At the head of, uh, not an army, but a parade, a military parade, of mounted soldiers and foot soldiers, all dressed in that Typical Roman Empire stuff that you've seen in all the films. The the polished leather armor. The breastplates shining bright. Those shining uh, silver-looking helmets. Their spears, their swords, their bows and arrows on great horses. Marching into Jerusalem at the same time as Jesus comes in from the other side of town. Jesus comes in from the east, on the west, here comes Pontius Pilate. And he's coming into Jerusalem on that day because it's the beginning of Passover. Well, that's, that's no reason for Pontius Pilate to come in, you think, because why, why does he care about Passover? It's got nothing to do with him. But what does Passover celebrate? 
What does Passover mean to the people of Jerusalem? It's a, a memory, a reminder for them, a celebration of a time when God did what for them? He freed them. It's a celebration of when God did something incredible to rescue them from oppression, to set them free from those people, then it was the Egyptians, who oppressed them, who kept them captive, who treated them appallingly. So at the beginning of Passover, the people of Israel, the whole of Jerusalem, is getting ready to celebrate this moment in their history when God sets them free. Sets them free from oppression. History, not not the modern history that we try to sort of write now, but the, the writings, some of the Roman writings that we've have been discovered, record that in the lead up to Passover, every Passover, there was always an increase in the amount of rebellion that went on in Jerusalem and around. That those activists within the, the Jewish community who were very strongly anti-Roman, bearing in mind Rome runs and controls Jerusalem. It basically controls the religious structures and people's lives. And there were, there were groups of people who were rightly not happy with that, we'd say. And as Passover came every year, they'd start to increase their sort of opposition to it. Rebellion. And so one of the things that the Romans did, Rome knew this. Rome knew that at Passover, this would be a time when the people in Israel were remembering how God set them free from oppression. Now, Rome may not have considered themselves to be oppressors, but they knew that they were controlling another country. They were controlling another people. And this was a time when they needed to remind them, don't get any big ideas. Don't start thinking that something's going to happen now, that you can kick off another rebellion and you can somehow overthrow us. Attempts had, had happened before. There'd been attempts at rebellion against the Roman rule and every time the might of the Roman Empire came down hard on the people of Israel and stopped it, stamped it out violently. And so the Roman Empire not just in Jerusalem, but wherever they occupied places, whenever there was some sort of local celebration or an opportunity for the local people to be, to be thinking about whether they liked being controlled by the Romans, the Romans would make sure that they got involved. That they just reminded people who was in charge. And so it had become a tradition for the emperor's man, and in this case this was Pontius Pilate, to come into Jerusalem with a mini-army. A reminder, we're in control. Don't get any ideas. Don't think that we are going to let you just push us out and take control. So at one end of the town, we've got Jesus coming in on a donkey with a ragtag bunch of followers, disciples. We kind of guess that most of these people, they weren't the bright sparks of society because they'd have already been off following other leaders and be, being under other teachers. <clears throat> if there's any fishermen here, I'm sorry if I've just uh, offended you, but 
These were fishermen, these were simple people. And they're following with Jesus. And on the other side of town is a big parade. The army, the music, the important people would have been there. The important Jewish leaders would have been there to make sure that the the Romans saw that they were in the right place. Because for them, for the Jewish leaders, for the religious leaders, they wanted things to stay the way they were. Because under Roman rule, you see, they had it quite good. The Romans allowed them to carry on doing their worship under certain restrictions. So for them, it was great. They could carry on doing their thing. So they would have been not wanting to go and see what Jesus was up to. They would have been wanting to be seen saying, welcome, welcome Pontius Pilate, welcome Rome. We're we're, we're pleased you're here. Showing that they had allegiances to this worldly power. And that army, that, that parade came in with Pontius Pilate and it went to the barracks, which were right next to the temple. A great place for Pontius Pilate to set up the day and his celebrations where he could keep an eye on what was going to happen in the temple. He could remind people, we're in charge here, not you. The whole point of Pontius Pilate coming in that day was to show them that he had the power He had the strength, he had the army behind him, and if he needed to, he would use it. And meanwhile, on the other side of town, in comes Jesus on a donkey with this band of disciples bringing a completely different message to the people of Israel. His message is supposed to show people something about God, a different, uh, a different evidence, a different truth. And both Matthew and Mark in their account of this story record how Jesus sends the disciples to go and get this donkey, how it fulfills the prophet's words. And the prophet Zechariah had spoken about this, about talking about the nation. In actual fact, he, he, he says, I'll just read a bit more from there in Zechariah 9, it says, I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As Jesus sends his disciples to collect that colt. And he reminds them of Zechariah's words, where Zechariah is saying, God is going to deliver you, Israel, from the oppressors. In this case, Rome. At least, that's what the people heard when Jesus used that reference from Zechariah. When the people decided, when those that decided to go and see Jesus' triumphal entry, instead of going to see Pontius Pilate's triumphal entry, they heard Jesus saying, I've come to set you free from Rome. I'm the king and I'm coming in and I'm going to set you free. 
And when they heard that, how did they feel? Excited. This was it. Rome was going to get pushed out. God had sent his Messiah. And they expected a king who was going to be powerful and mighty and come at the head of an army who'd be able to stand up against Rome and wipe them out. That's what they heard. That's what they understood when Jesus said, here I am. When Jesus came into town, but in he comes, riding on a donkey, humbly, not on a war horse, on a slow-moving donkey, the symbol of a king who comes in peace and bringing a message of peace. These two processions that came in that day couldn't have been any more different. Pilate and might and strength and soldiers and aggression, dominance, control, and Jesus saying peace, God's peace. And everybody that was in town that day, everybody that watched what happened had a choice to make. What kind of king did they want to follow? They're either going to serve the gods of the world and follow Pontius Pilate and get behind Rome and all of that power, or they're going to follow Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Peace. One of the other problems that comes out of today is a problem of leadership, or a challenge of leadership. I was reading a book called Leadership on the Line, um, and the authors defined leadership like this. Now, bear with me, because you're going to look at this and go, what? They said this. Leadership is about disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. Maybe someone should have told Theresa May that recently. Disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. See, Jesus has a problem. His followers and the others that get caught up with that, seeing him riding in, hearing their understanding of him coming in to set them free, they choose to follow Jesus, but by the end of the week, Jesus hasn't done what they thought he should do. He's disappointed them. He's let them down. Because, you see, they were looking for the warrior to come into town. And by the end of the week, even the disciples will either deny him or betray him or disappear into the darkness. Hosanna to the son of David, they proclaimed. In other words, they're saying, here comes another David. Here comes another warrior king. Here comes a human here comes somebody that's going to help us to stand up physically against the oppressors. That's what they wanted. They wanted a man like David to rule them. They couldn't see beyond that sort of power that's needed to control things. They wanted a Messiah who was going to get rid of the Romans, bring glory back to Israel. They were going to be a mighty, powerful nation. They wanted somebody who was going to come in and challenge the leadership, challenge those that are in charge. But they missed the fact that Jesus did exactly that. 
Jesus did challenge those in leadership. Except it wasn't the Roman leaders he challenged, it was the Jewish leaders. He challenged them to think again about what it meant to be a king, to be in charge, to tackle oppression. He said to them that the temple wasn't the only way that you could find God. In fact, he told them that the temple would be destroyed. He challenged them to think outside the box that was the temple, the box that they'd kept the Jewish faith in. And that didn't sit well with them because that was their livelihood. And the Roman rulers allowed them to carry on doing it the way they wanted to do it. And so when Jesus says things like, your sins are forgiven to a lame man, he breaks God out of the temple that they've kept him in. See, the first thing that that Jesus does when he comes in is he sets God free from the limits that people had put around him. And he exposes all that's wrong about the system. He exposes the corruption, the the fiddling with the tax money and just all that dishonesty about things that were going on within the system. Jesus disappoints people because he's not the king they expected. He disappoints the Jewish leader because he's exposing them to the people. Everything that Jesus did was a disappointment to those people. Jesus' entry that day, I was going to say may or may not have been a coincidence that it happens at the same time as Pilate's procession. I don't think God does coincidences. So I'm, I'm thinking this is exactly what God planned. A comparison between two kingdoms. An earthly kingdom and an earthly way of doing things and God's kingdom and God's way of doing things. The contrast between these two processions is is unmistakable. Did you know that Pilate was a son of God? Or at least he served a son of God. The records say that his emperor at that time, Augustus, was called the son of God. People believed him to be God-like. He was supposed to have been the son of Apollo, I believe. And there were inscriptions and records that called him Son of God and Lord, even Saviour. In Roman writings, there's even stories that talk about how, how after he died, he came back to life and, you know, took his place with the gods. There were two choices people were being given at this time the world's kingdom and God's kingdom. And although many people thought that they were siding with Jesus, that they were siding with this prince of peace that came in on a donkey, by the end of the week, it was clear that they were doing so for the same reasons others were siding with Pontius Pilate. Because they wanted a king that was going to forcefully set them free and control them in, in a worldly kind of way. They thought Jesus could do for them what Rome had done for them. Make their lives better. Deliver them from things. 
And that's why they turned against him by the end of the week. Because there's no way he could do this in their eyes. And so by, by Thursday and Friday, they don't think he can do anything. And in actual fact, they start to think, this Jesus guy is a problem. He's going to make life more difficult for us, actually, because he's upsetting the Romans. And the Jewish leaders don't want upset Romans. They've just spent their time trying to persuade the Romans that everything's fine in Jerusalem, don't, don't have any problems. They want them to be calm. And in comes Jesus, and he starts winding people up. Jesus is going to attract the wrong kind of attention. And so when Jesus is dragged before them and accused of things, they quickly grab the opportunity to, to, to move through a system, that's going to, a process that's going to get him out the way. They come down on Jesus so that they can move him out the way so that Rome won't come down on them. Jesus didn't do what they thought he should do. And so by the end of the week, they have him crucified. Kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. It's still only Palm Sunday, and we're already thinking about Friday now. But let me ask you this. If you were in Jerusalem that day and both processions were happening, where would you have been? Would you have been on the one end of town where the ruler of Rome, effectively Rome's man, comes in with the might of the army, where all the people that are important are, where it's good to be seen, to be showing support, where it's good where you can show that you're not going to rock the boat, where you're just going to go along with things? Or are you going to be on the other side of town, where this guy Jesus comes in on a donkey with this ragtag bunch of followers, and there's a few people, and then a few more, and then a few more, and then a few more start waving palm leaves and singing Hosanna and saying things that sound like, wow, this is exciting, maybe we can get rid of... Where are you going to be? Where would you be? In the safe side of town or on the dangerous side of town? See, I think that the people of Israel, they, they misunderstand what it means when God says he's going to set them free from oppression. For them, that means setting them free from Rome. And yet the truth is that what Jesus is going to do is set them free from themselves. Set them free from all the things that they have tied themselves down with and limited themselves with. Set them free from the restrictions they've placed on God. See, the oppression that Jesus sets us free from the most important oppression that Jesus sets us free from is ourselves. Is on what we do to get in the way of the relationship that God wants to have with us. See, Jesus knew, God knows, that if the people followed Jesus and were set free from their own limitations, Rome wouldn't be a problem anymore. 
They could deal with that any time. And the same is true today in the world. If we allow God to set us free from ourselves and the restrictions and the limitations that we place upon ourselves, all those other things that need fixing in the world, that's a doddle. That's a doddle for God who then has got an army of people driven by their allegiance to the Prince of Peace to live in a kingdom of God. Which king do you follow? What kind of king do you want? Do you want a king who's going to be at your beck and call? See, the people, when they were singing Hosanna, 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 what they were really wanted was they were saying, Jesus, do this for us. Jesus, this is what we want you to do. Be our servant and set us free from this. And yet, what do we sing? What did we sing in that song at the beginning about... I've written it down and now I can't remember. I live to serve your majesty. Not Jesus, serve me, fix this, change this, sort all these problems out. We sing, I live to serve you. You're the king. The oppression that Jesus wants to set us from free from is the idea that somehow we're the kings. That we get to decide what happens. And all we've got to do is tell God what we want. There's a choice that people had to make that day. Jesus, Pontius Pilate. God, the world. God's kingdom, the kingdom of the world. They had a choice of power and might or love and peace. They could choose the way that God intended things to be or the way things just got done. There were two processions that day, two theologies going on, two ways of thinking about God, two choices to make. What kind of king would you have followed? What kind of king do you want to follow today? It is a triumphal entry. It remains a triumph because by Easter morning, Jesus is alive. And that's the triumph. But we've got to get there. And we've got to work out whether we're going to keep following Jesus or switch sides and follow the world.